theyeshiva.net. Okay, good morning, everybody, and thank you for gracing us. And a good geben shdiar, aksiva vachsima toiva, shana toiva msuka, to you and your families and all of your loved ones, but Klal Yisrael, it should be a year filled with abundant blessings materially and spiritually. Amen ke'en yehi Today's class is dedicated by Dr. Yisrael and Chani Kaplan with a mazel tov and in honor of the recent marriage of Chaim and Malki Ur, Niengel on the 5th of Elul, 5782, with blessings of mazel tov, mazel tov, and a binyan adeyad, and an amazing blessed life. Thank you very much. Amen. So Parshas Kiseitse is filled with many fascinating mitzvahs, and one of them is known as the mitzvah of Hashavas Aveda, the mitzvah of returning a lost object. And it's really a, uh, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's in many ways a simple but a very beautiful mitzvah. And the mitzvah, we all know, basically, I find something, it doesn't belong to me, now it, belong, now it could belong to me because I found it. I found it in the street. I found it in any place where I find it. And the Torah commands me and says that uh, I have to be able to search and identify who is the owner. That's not always possible. But if it's possible, if it's not possible, it's not possible. But if it's possible, we call it simonim. Of course, if there is a name or even if there's no name, but there are signs that ultimately give me the potential to identify the owner. The owner may come along and say, you know, this was my coat, or this is my watch, or this is my pen, or this is my computer, or this is my animal. And here are the signs, here are the identifying signs. So there's a mitzvah to be able to to, to restore it back to its original owner and to give it back to the person who has lost it. Nobody will know. This is a very personal, intimate mitzvah. I can take it and go home and nobody will ever know about it. It's not like somebody can take me to court. There was no theft here. I didn't break into anybody's house. You know, maybe you were a shlamazel. You know, maybe I was a shlamazel and I lost it. Or whatever happened. Guilty or not guilty. But the bottom line is that there's a special mitzvah. And the way the Torah describes it, it's in the beginning of chapter Chav Beis of Dvarim, the second, 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy, Parshish Kiseitze, Perik Chav Beis, Pasuk Aleph the Torah says, Lo yisira. You should not see. You should not watch the ox or the sheep of your brother just being lost, being cast away. Now it doesn't mean don't see it. If I see it, I see it. I see a sheep that's been lost. Lo yisira means don't see it and be apathetic. Don't watch it from a distance and say, it's not my problem. V'salam mehem. And just hide yourself from it. Just ignore it. There's a mitzvah. Retrieve it and return it. Restore it. The word hashev teshivim. Restore it back to your brother or your sister. And the Torah continues in the second passage. If your brother is not close to you, you don't even know who he is. If you know that the ox comes from your neighbor, next door neighbor, you give it back. But this brother is not close to me, not physically, not in physical proximity, or not in relations, and I may not even know who this person is. So what do I do then? Take the lost item, or the lost object, or the lost living creature, and bring it into your own home. And it should stay with you. Until your brother searches it out, and then return it to him. Because I don't know whose it is. I don't know who to return it to. I don't know this person. Again, it may not have a name. So what do I do? I bring it to my house. And hopefully, if it has identifying signs, my brother or my sister, which means this Jew, whoever he or she may be, will come and search for this lost object and will come to me and say, hey, you found a sheep. Here are the signs. It says, my brother will search it out. And Chazal say, what does it mean? He will search it out. He will have to be able to give the identifying signs that it's his or hers, because if not, 
It's not fair just to give it to anybody. You know, somebody can be deceptive. And then there's a mitzvah to return it to them. And the pasuk continues. This is not only about an ox or a sheep. Do this for his donkey. Do it for his tunic, for his garment, for his shirt, for his cloak. Or anything that your brother or sister loses and you find it, do not ignore it. And that's the mitzvah of Aveda that existed and continues to exist throughout Jewish history. And the practical way of doing it was they used to have when somebody lost an object and then somebody else found it, there was a place where there were signs or there were announcements so people could come there and they can hear that something was found. Of course, they didn't show it to them because everybody could just say it's mine, but then you had to come and give the features and identify it and if their marks were indeed accurate, in other words, we can identify that this is the owner, I had a mitzvah of giving it back to the owner. That's the general mitzvah of Saved. Now, what happens if I find something and there's no simonim? I look at it and it's obvious that there's no identifying mark. There's no name, there's no scratch. There's nothing unusual, there's nothing irregular. It's a sheep, it's another sheep. Or it's another pen. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing that can identify. There's literally no simon. You know, you find a dollar bill. You find a hundred dollar bill. It's, so sometimes it has a certain sign. Somebody writes something on it, but very often not. There's no simonim. If there's no simonim, so then the person won't be able to identify that they're the owner. They don't have anything. If it's a sweater, so usually there can be an identifying mark. If it's a computer, my information will probably be on it. My telephone and so forth. But sometimes there's something, it has no simonim. So then the halacha is that the person doesn't have to return it because there's no way of finding out who the real owner is. I basically have to trust, and if two people come and they say it's mine, who lost $100? I did, I did, I did, I did. I have no simon. So then the halacha is, of course, I can keep it. Why? Because I don't know who to give it to, so I can keep it. I don't have, I don't have prophecy. HaShavas Aveda only exists if there's a simon that makes the person and gives them the ability to identify it, and then I'm mechuyev, I'm obligated not to keep it for myself, but to actually restore it to the owner. Now here the halacha identifies how this works. So if I find something, do I always have to return it? How do I know? Is there a process of knowing when I, could ret- when I have to return it, when I could keep it? So the way the halacha defines it is, it's basically based on yiyush. Yiyush is the halachic word for despair, like lehisyayish, to have yiyush. What does yiyush mean? Yiyush in this context means, sometimes, if let's say you're walking on 5th Avenue in Manhattan, Madison Avenue in Manhattan, and you drop a $5 bill, how much hope do you have that if you come back the next day, (laughs) you're going to find it? These are things, you drop them and you give up. You're like, oy vey, okay. Next, right? You lost it. You lost something. Once there is yiyush, once I emotionally, I mentally say, I'm never getting this back. So halachically, I relinquished my ownership because my connection to it is gone. In other words, when I own something or you own something, it actually belongs to you. It belongs to you. I'm not going to take it from you. It's yours. It's somehow connected to you. And that has many halachic implications. It's yours. Once there is yiyush, yiyush means that mentally I disengaged from it, it actually goes through a transformation that's not mine anymore. So if I lose something and I give up on it, I give up. Even if there are identifying marks, I don't own it anymore. So it's very nice if you want to return it, but you don't have to. Because it's not mine. Just like if there's no identifying marks, right? You could take it because who are you going to give it back to? And if I lose something, I lose $100 somewhere in a street in Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what do I think is going to happen? <laughs> right? I lose something anywhere and there's no simon. I know there's no way I can retrieve it. So basically, I give up. I despair. Yeosh is like, it's not happening. Oy, this is... Oy vey, what should I do? Gone. That feeling actually 
creates a disassociation. I'm not the owner anymore, now you can take it. But here is the interesting Kiddush. What if it does have identifying marks? So potentially you would be able to retrieve it, but you lost it in a place where you know that if, 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 if you, you, you dropped $100 here in this shul, it's a private place, it's not a big place, you know most of the people here, everybody here that's, that's sitting here is obligated by the mitzvah of Ashavah Saveda. So if you have a sign, you don't give up. You ask, did anybody find, uh, did anybody find a wallet? Did anybody find $100? And then there's a mitzvah for me to return it. But if you're walking on Madison Avenue, or you're walking on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, or you're walking in a public thoroughfare, most people over there are not even Jews. They don't have the mitzvah of Ashavah Saved. So even if I have a simon, even if I have an identifying mark, what is the likelihood that you're going to get it back? Tell me. <laughs> How much percent is the likelihood you're going to get it back? Even if there's a simon, even if it's an identifying mark. Man, I don't really, I give up. The moment I give up, there's yish. The moment there's yish, I don't own it anymore. If I don't own it anymore, you can take it. That's basically how the halacha works. Understood? So basically, there's two ways in which you can retrieve the lost object and take it. One is if there's no simon, so then there's nothing can be done. Who are you going to give it to? And I know there's nothing I can do, right? I have no simon in it. It could be a shirt, could be a sweater. I just bought it. It's fresh from the store. I didn't do anything and I lost it. Okay, I lost it. What should I do? I have no way of identifying it's mine. I didn't put my name in. I don't have any special scratch or any special knitting or a special cut or special simon. You buy food. You buy a basket of, of you buy a bag of, of apples, oranges. Allah discusses this. And I drop it and I lose it. <laughs> you have simonim on the oranges that you bought from the store. You put your name in every orange. What's my simon? So you can take it. That's number one. Number two, even if it's something that has a simon, but I lose it in a place that's mostly not Jews who are not obligated to this mitzvah. So therefore, I don't hope that I can retrieve it. I basically give it up. You know, there's a tide. There's a tide that comes. You're by the beach, right? And you, you, you're glad it never happened. And the glasses. Uh, the glasses, I made the mistake of going with my glasses. The glasses got swept away. What was my hope to find those glasses, you think? <laughs> I looked at my glasses and I said, bye-bye, Charlie. Have a good day. It was nice knowing you. Right Now it happens to be that you're in a jet ski and you see a beautiful pair of glasses and you take it. You're not mechuyev to give it back to me. I mean, it's nice. Even if it says Y.Y. Jacobson, it's nice to do it, but you don't have to. You know why? Because there was Yush. I gave up. <laughs> it's called Zutay Shalyam. I gave up. I didn't hope that I'm going to find it in the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean where it happened to be. It happens to be. You were on a boat. You had Mazel. You find it. Again, you could be very nice and call me up and give it back to me. But halachically, you're not obligated in the mitzvah because there was Yush. Yes. Yes, so if I see that the person intentionally put it there with a simon, then I shouldn't touch it. Like sometimes they found a hole and they put it there, right? So then they're going to probably come back and retrieve it. Special shape, yeah. But if they dropped it in a place where under natural circumstances there's no hope that they're going to get it back, right? I gave the example of Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. You know what I mean? Or you're in a busy airport. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's just public... And it's not even a place where mostly Jews are who are obligated in Ashavah It's people that are not obligated in Ashavah So yeah, a miracle may happen, but I don't rely on that, Alpiteva. So therefore, I despair of ever getting it back. The moment I despair of it, I mentally disengage from it. I mentally disengage from it. Technically, halachically, I don't own it. If I don't own it, it's anybody who take, finds it can take it, even though they're Jewish and there's a simon. This is a very interesting halach. Now here, of course... A very interesting argument emerged between two of the greatest Talmudic sages, Abaya and Rava. This is in Meseches Baba Metziah, the third chapter known as Hamafkid. It's actually one of the first uh, uh, chapters of Gemara that uh, boys learn in Yeshiva. So if your boy started to learn Gemara this year or maybe last year, he'll probably know the situation. So tonight by dinner you could do a test as preparation for Yeshiva this week. And this is a case known as Yiyush Shaloi Midas, unconscious despair. What does unconscious despair mean? It means as follows. Let's say I'm walking in a very, very public thoroughfare. I don't know, I'm walking in Manhattan, I'm walking in an airport, I'm walking in a public place. 
right? And this money, I have a $100 bill in my pocket. I didn't realize there was a hole. There was a hole in my pocketbook. There was a hole in my pocket. And the money fell out. But I don't know that it did. Technically, did I despair? No, I didn't. But if I would have known that I lost it, (laughs) I would have given up on it. Now you find it. You find it. So this was Yiyush, but it's Shaloi Midas. It's not conscious. Because if I know that I lost it, I consciously say, That's the end of that. I'm sorry I lost it. But here I didn't know to lose it to give up. Now you find it before I ever found out that I lost it. Can you take it? <laughs> and there would have been Yiyush, but I just don't know that I lost it. So what's the halacha? <laughs> you hear the question? Big argument, Abaya and Rava. Rava says, it's called Yiyush, even though it's not conscious. But since, if I would have known that I lost it, I would have given up. So it's already like I gave up on it, and it's all yours. Abaya says, Loi have a Yiyush. No, I don't know about it. If I don't know about it, I can't despair. <laughs> you have to know that you lost it. Once I find out that I lost it, afterwards you're allowed to take it. But if you took it before that... You have to return it. This is a case of Yish Shaloi Midas. You understand? I lose something. I didn't know that I lost it. So consciously there was no despair. Potentially, if I would have known about it, I would give up. But I didn't know about it. Rava says, it's as though you knew about it and you gave up. Because potentially there was Yish. Abaya says, no. If there was no conscious disengagement, it's still yours. And in this case, it's interesting when there's a debate between Abaya and Rava, in the Gemara, usually the halacha is like Rava. There are six exceptions. Ya'el Kegam, that's the acronym of the six exceptions, and the first one is Yud, Yiyush. Here the halacha is like Abaya. Yiyush shaloi midas, loi have Yiyush. It's not called Yiyush if it was not conscious. Excellent question. Excellent question. So what should the person who finds do it? How am I supposed to know if you know that you lost it or you didn't know that you lost it, right? That's a great question. That's why some, some commentators explain that's the opinion of Rav. He says, what do you want from the guy? Now he has to sit and investigate. Does the guy know? Does the guy not know? When did he find out? When did he not find out? It's very complicated. That's some opinions why Rav felt that practically and technically we should be considered, it should be considered Yish. But according to Abaya, really, if, if, I am not sure if this guy knew or not, I am obligated to hold on to it and try to give it back to the owner. And I can't use it as my own. I can't. I have to keep it in my house, put it away, and investigate and wait and send out an email (laughs) and send out a WhatsApp and maybe put up a sign in shul or the way they used to do it in the olden days in Yerushalayim. And say, even though I say, well, I found it in some public Rishon mostly non-Jews, what do you want? There was no, there was, there was I, I should take it, but if you don't know that he had Yish, because he may have not known that he lost it, so then I cannot legally own it. That's what Abaya holds. It's a good question. She found a watch in a park in Boca, Raton, right near the shul. So it's a very Jewish area. She brought it to the shul. The shul announced it. We found a piece of jewelry. Anybody come claim it. For months, nobody claimed it. So Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, the rabbi of uh, the Boca Shul, they, what are we going to... We it's not for the office. So you take it. <laughs> nobody came to claim it. You take it. You want to know 15 years later, if somebody here by the shia says, give me back my watch, if you're obligated to give it to them, Right? Huh? I would. No, I know you would. I know you would. You're a gracious, kind woman, person. But we want to know if you're obligated, right? If you're not so gracious. Yeah. So it seems that if the person says, you know, I was not Miyayish, I, ne- I, never, gave- I never gave up on it, <laughs> and I've been searching for it, huh? and I still look at everybody's watch to see who found my watch, and they have some on them, right? So then I would give it back. (laughs) I think so. Now every mitzvah exists on different frequencies. 
So this mitzvah exists on a physical level, as we just discussed, but it also exists on a spiritual level. The Chsam Seifer, already before the Chsam Seifer, the Er HaChayim, Rabbi Nuchayim Benotu, the great commentator on Chumash, the Er HaChayim, who was from Morocco, and then later Yerushalayim, passed away 1740 in, in the month of Tammuz, in July, Tesvav Tammuz, the famous Er HaChayim, in his commentary on Chumash, by the way, the commentary of the Er HaChayim on Chumash, they say, is from a shir that he used to have every Shabbos with his daughters. The Er HaChayim would teach the parsha to his daughters. And the Rechaim had a few daughters, and from that class that he gave his daughters, he wrote his commentary, Rechaim and the Parsha. So by the way, Rechaim is a woman's class, just for the record. So they say. So the Rechaim, and then generations later, the Chsam Seifer explained that this whole mitzvah applies spiritually. And the way the Chsam Seifer puts it, in very, very, uh, very powerful and beautiful words, when the Torah says, don't watch the ox of your brother or the sheep of your brother, just be lost and ignore it. See, he says, sometimes people lose their sheep, or their ox, or their donkey, or their cloak, or their coat, or their watch, or their necklace, or their computer, or their puppy, or whatever it is that they lose. But sometimes people lose themselves. Sometimes the lost object is not just a physical item that I bought, maybe a couple of dollars, or a wallet, or a piece of jewelry, as precious as it is, or maybe my hat, or my jacket, or my tie, but sometimes it's me. I myself can be lost. A person themselves can lose sometimes certain parts of themselves. Sometimes I become alienated from certain aspects of me that are in exile, they're forlorn, they're cast away. I don't know who I am. Maybe a part of my soul that's been in exile, that's been in hiding. So there's now a mitzvah of Hashavah Saved. The way that Samsefer puts it is, he says... Sometimes a person's soul can be lost. Sometimes a person is alienated from themselves. Sometimes a person is not aligned with their own inner being. There's dissonance, there's a separation. So he says, never allow yourself to see the soul of your brother cast away and say, it's not my problem. You're lost, you're gone, you severed yourself from yourself, you're in exile, I have a life to live. He says, chas v'shalom. Even if the person is not close to you and you don't know him, he is so remote spiritually, bring him into your house. Go retrieve this lost soul and bring it back to the owner. He says, bring him into your house. Become close. And you'll see one day your brother will search for you. You will arouse within him or her the desire to explore more, to learn more, to know more. The Rechayim HaKadosh says, it says the ox of your brother or the sheep of your brother. And he says, your brother refers to Hashem. So the Chsam Seifer says that a Jew, a tzaddik, calls Hashem my brother, my sister, like my sibling, we're so connected. So he says, sometimes you have a person and the person actually sees themselves as very primal and primitive, almost like an animal. Especially in a generation where many say that they have evolved from animals, so essentially there's no distinction between a human being and a chimpanzee, say. So the Rechaim says, sometimes a person sees themselves that I'm basically just another animal. But he says, but it's your brother's ox. It's God's ox, it's God's sheep. So he says, never ever turn your eyes away from them, ever. And even if they're cast away, he says, hashev teshivem, like from the word tshuva, Restore them, reach out, embrace them. Bring back, it's a mitzvah to look for that lost object and bring it back to the person. Sometimes bring a person back to themselves. Unite a person with themselves. Help them find their own inner light, their own inner soul, their own exiles. Help them get through the defenses, the protectors. Help them get through the defenses, the blockages, the cover-ups and find that which has been lost, which I don't have access to. The Pasuk says in Parshas Vaschanan, Ubikashtem Misham es Hashem Umatsasa. Search from there, from there. It says the Jews will be scattered everywhere. From there you should search for Hashem and found, find them. What does it mean, Ubikashtem Misham? You can only search for something where you lost it. I can't search for something where I didn't lose it. There's a story about a Jew from Chelem that he was walking home from Shul. 
and he lost his keys. A friend of his sees this guy, Yankel, let's call him, and he's standing by the by a lantern, by a night lamp, and he's looking for something. He says, Yankel, what are you searching for? He says, I lost my keys to go to the house. I'm searching for them. He says, where did you lose the keys? He says, I think I lost them a few blocks away from here. So he says, so why are you looking here? He says, because here there's light. Over there it's dark. I can't search for something where there's light. I have to search for something where it got lost. I have to go to that place where it got lost. I have to be able to identify the Makkim HaVeda, the place where I got lost. That's hard to go to. Not easy to go to that place. In a person's life, to be able to really identify the place of the rupture, the thought that ruptured, that thought, that belief, that experience, that sensation, that paradigm. It could be one thought, one belief that got ingrained in me when I was a child. And it caused my soul to get lost. It caused my creativity to get lost. It allowed my self-confidence to get lost. It allowed my inner amazing splendid core, excuse me, my inner amazing splendid core to go into exile. Balatanya writes in his Maimra Anila Doidi Vidoidi Li of Elo. Ubikashtam Ishama have to search from there. Don't be afraid to go to the place where you lost it, where you lost your Aveda, and search for myself or for somebody else and return it. And the Rechaim continues and he says, If your brother is not close to you, he says, if your brother is Hashem, he says, it's the time of Golust, exile. And he says, Ashurenu v'loi karev. Bilam says, I see the end, but it's not close. So he says, A person is in exile. And the person doesn't know when the Golust is going to end. So he says, it comes a generation where I don't feel the closeness to my brother. So he says, don't give up on any one of those souls. Bring them into the house. Bring them into your home. He says, bring them into the Beis HaMedrash. Bring them into your home. Teach them about life. Reach out to them. So the mitzvah of Ashavah Saveda, according to the commentators, is much more than just returning physical objects. It's whenever I identify a rupture in somebody's life, I identify somebody you would call... A piece of me is lost, a piece of you is lost. There's, there, is a, there is dissonance, there is, there is something broken. There's a part of you that you don't know about, there's a part of me that I don't know about. And I have some access to it. I found it, I can see it. I have an active mitzvah to be able to return it. Now let's take this one step deeper, the way it applies to a person's life, and we'll also see why this mitzvah is always read in the month of Elul, in the days before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which is the time of Hashiv to Shivim Tshuva. And it says, as with Chazal say, that Moshe went up to the mountain on Rosh Chodesh Elul the last 40 days, and he brought down the Luchais on Yom Kippur, the second Luchais. And in many ways, that was also Hashavah Saved, because Hashem gave him the tablets to give to the Jewish people. They broke on the way, he broke them. And now essentially they lost their access to Torah, and Moshe returned, he restored these luchas to them. So this was this time of the year was the cosmic Hashavas Aved of the Jewish people, giving back to the Jewish people. Says the Torah is the like the bride of the Jewish people, were betrothed to it. So you give it back. It's an Aveda, like Chava was part of Adam, right? And it says the person searches for their Aveda. So Adam searches for Chava, the man searches for his soulmate. So Murasa, Moshe Rabbeinu, restores the Torah back to the Jewish people. So I want to illustrate this with a story that occurred in Leipzig in Germany. Leipzig, as you know, is in the center of Germany. And it was considered one of the most uh, uh, appealing and attractive and lucrative sources of livelihood for many Jews. Because in Leipzig, every year, there were big Yerids, Yerids are like uh, big thoroughfares and marketplaces. Today they call them business shows. We're vendors from all over the continent and all over Europe and many other countries, even far down Eastern Europe. They came from the West, they came from the East. This was a central place. They called it in Yiddish, a Yerid. Vendors would come 
and display all of their various materials and merchandises, and possible uh, buyers, clients would come also from all over Europe to purchase. And that's how many, many people earn their revenue. They would go back to their local cities and become local distributors, or however they worked it out. So this was a very lucrative, uh, there was a lot of potential here. So Leipzig became a very famous attraction. The city was, was a non-Jewish city, mostly non-Jews. But Jews lived there, like in many German cities. And uh, Jews would come for the Yerid in Leipzig. There was a man named Reb Doiv Eisenman, Betel Eisenman. Betel Eisenman dealt with uh, materials, fab- fabric. Various types of fabric from which they would make various uh, clothes and garments. And he would go every year to the Yerid in Leipzig and he would purchase various, various diverse fabrics which he would then bring home, sell, develop, and he made a very, very comfortable living from it. One year, he fell ill and he had a surgery. This is in the 1800s, the 19th century, and he could not go to Leipzig. But this was very important, so he decided to send his wife. Chanaleya was her name. Chanaleya Eisenman never went to Leipzig. She would stay home, her husband took care of it, but there was no choice. He had nobody else to send, so he spoke to her about it and she said, I'll go. But she didn't have any experience, so he prepped her. You know, he described what Leipzig looks like and what happens and how the Yerid takes place and it continues for a few weeks, and you go from vendor to vendor, and he gave her a list of all the connections he has, he knew all their names, so before telephones, he couldn't give the WhatsApp uh, clip or the telephone number, but he gave a list of the clients that he deals with, the sacharim, the merchants, the vendors, and he explained to her how you know how you do it, and what you're looking for, and this person provides this type of uh, material, and this person dis- dis- provides this type, they called it livent, Arigim, different materials, different fabrics. She took the journey a little with trepidation, with hesitation, but this was the least she can do to be able to make sure that they stay afloat and her husband would make the revenue that he needed. He also gave her the money that he made from last year to be able to pay for everything before you come back, you have to pay. She comes to Leipzig and... She stayed in the hotel where her husband used to stay. They never met her, but they were happy to see her. When she introduced herself, she got her room. And the beginning of the year, she went out to the marketplace, to the thoroughfare, to the show, to be able to begin all of the handling and wheeling and dealing and purchasing. She made sure she had the money. He gave her basically banknoten. It was, uh, it was the documents, what you would call stories. Basically, you know, bills. And uh, they were all wrapped up in a, in a string together. It was a big pile that she kept in the hotel. And she went to begin to examine everything that's available. And she started to go from vendor to vendor. She introduced herself. And she got a very warm reception, even though they were expecting Beryl, her husband, to come. But she explained the situation. And they were very happy to assist her, just as they were very happy to assist him. He was a really, really good and consistent and stable and reliable and trustworthy client. They even told her she could take any material she wants. She doesn't have to pay right now. At the end of the year, she could come before she goes home and pay up as she wants. In other words, she could put away her stuff without paying, put them on the side and pick them up later. And she she could pay only at the end because they trusted her husband, they trusted her. And to her very positive, uh, uh, she didn't expect such hatzlacha. Within a few days, two or three days, she was done. She got everything she needed. She really, really did much better than she expected. And it was extremely, extremely successful. Gewaldig Baruch Hashem. She even managed to do better than her husband. We wouldn't expect otherwise, right? She found new vendors. She found somebody who was developing a whole new type of life and a whole new type of fabric and material, which she thought would be very promising, and she got a great price on a great quantity of fabric, and she created a connection with him in order to be able to get the merchandise. 
She was really excited. She didn't have to stay there for two, three weeks. A few days was enough. And she finally made her last journey to the Yerit in order to pay up and in order to collect and retrieve all the merchandise and bring it home and begin a new year of success. She comes to the first store, to the first vendor, and she collects all the material that she put aside already for herself. And he thanks her and she thanks him. And she puts her pocket into her pocketbook, puts her hand into her pocketbook to take out the money. It's not there. So she looks, it's not there. She looks everywhere, maybe another pocket, she put it in another pocket, it's not there. She almost faints, the entire stack of cash was one stack, all bound up together, it's gone. She was about to faint. She found a chair, she sat down. What happened, what happened? He asked her. And she told him, she was pale, and he calmed her down. He said, okay, don't worry. We'll look for it. And worse comes to worst. If you don't find it, you could take the material home. We trust your husband. Been doing business with him for years. He'll send the money afterwards. But she knew that he didn't have any more money. This was the money. He didn't have any more money. She would come home without this. He didn't have money to pay for the material. She wouldn't be able to take the material. He would be in debt and he was sick. And she felt horrible, first of all, the loss of money, and also the horrible disappointment for herself and for her husband and for their source of revenue. And you know, and he sent her on this mission the first time. And she goes and she thinks she's successful and she loses the money. She runs back to the hotel, thinking maybe she forgot it in a drawer, she forgot it in the room. You know how it is, people are people. She searches everywhere, her bed and the drawers and the closets, Unto the bed, off the bed, under the pillow, inside the pillow. The money is gone. Did somebody break into the room and steal the money? Is there a window broken? Did somebody pick the lock? She finds no signs of thievery. What happened? And then she realizes that her pocketbook on the bottom tore. And there was a hole. And she understood that probably as she was walking in the Yerid at some point... The whole stack, the whole pile of money was wrapped up with a string. It fell out, just fell out from that hole. It slipped down and that was it. She had not a single franc left or a single ruble left, whatever the currency that she used, I assume a franc, a mark, a franc, euro. Vos <laughs> The vendors heard the Misa. And they comforted her. They said, again, we trust you. You could take everything home so he could begin working and he'll send the money. But she was just sobbing. She was beside herself because she knew the matzav. She knew that this was the cash they had and there was nothing else. There's nothing to do. Leipzig was a very big city. The Yerid had thousands of people and mostly not Jews. It wasn't a little shul. This is Leipzig. Leipzig was a it was univer, it was world renowned. The whole world would come. Also Jews, but mostly Leipzig was a German city. This means somebody found the money. They found the money, and what do they do with the money? <laughs> they take it. But fart, the person wants to hope. She didn't have much hope because a Gentile is going to find the money, he's going to take it. But she thought, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe she's lucky and maybe a Jew found the money. And maybe Nachan Er So she put up signs all over the Jewish community centers. The centers of the Jewish community in Leipzig, she put up signs that she lost a huge amount of cash. And if anybody, anybody happened to find it, if they could please get in touch with her. The miracle happened. There was a Jew in Leipzig. His name was Yehoinesen Bergelovitz. He was walking in the Yerid and he found a huge stack of cash. He told his friends. He said, I found an unbelievable amount of money. He found it. He told his friends. <laughs> then they see signs. Somebody lost it. 
Rumor had it, you know, it is Chavre Chavre. Jewish news travels fast. It gets back to Chanaleya. A Jew, Yonis and Berglovitz, found the money. He didn't keep it a secret. She ran to him. She found out where he was. She ran to him. And she said, you found a lot of money? Yeah. It looks like this and like this and like this and like this. Here is this sim and that sim and the string was tied like this. It was this color. This is how, she knew how much money there was. This is how they were organized. This is the exact number. She gave all the sim on him. Exactly how much, how they were organized. The type of string that they were wrapped up in and tied. She gave the identifying signs. And he said, yeah, that was it. Oh, was she excited. And she expected he's going to take the money and do the mitzvah of Aveda and give it back to her. And the story will come to a happy ending and she'll go home. He looked at her and he said, listen, I'm not giving you back this money. She says, why? It's mine. He says, it used to be yours. It's not yours. It used to be yours. I know it used to be yours. She said, but I gave you the size. There are some on him. He says, wait, wait, wait. Leipzig is a city of mostly Jews or non-Jews? Mostly non-Jews. Now be honest with me, Mrs. Eisenman. When you dropped the money, and you found out that you dropped the money, did you hope, <laughs> did you believe that you're going to get it back? Tell me the truth. <laughs> She says to him, I didn't hope, I didn't know that I'm going to, I didn't, I, I, I hoped against all odds that somebody will find it. But you found it. Give it back to me. He says, the halacha is, that ir sheruba nachrim, a city, that the majority of the city are people who are not obligated in Ashavas Aveda, and you lose something, naturally you give up, even if like always people have hope against all odds, and therefore, even though, if I want to go beyond the letter of the law, he says, I desperately need the money. This money came to me, halachically, it's mine. She started to scream. I understand. She said, I can't understand how you do this to somebody. You know that it's mine. You know that I lost it. I gave you this money, you're not even denying it. This is my blood, this is our sweat, this is our tears. He was stubborn. He said, I'm sorry, I'm not obligated to give you the money. You lost it, there was Yush. He says, you know what? Let's go to the rabbi. It happens to be that in Leipzig at the time, you had one of the biggest rabbis of the generation, the Rav of Kovna. His name was Rabbi Yitzchak Elchanan Specter. Famous Rabbi Yitzchak Specter, known as Rabbi Yitzchak he was from Kovna, Lithuania, and he was in Leipzig. He passed away, Tafresh Nunvav, around 1896. So this is before. As I said, it was the 1800s. And he was in Leipzig. They said, let's go to the Kovna. Rabbi Yitzchak was one of the greatest halachic authorities of his times. He was very, very, he was world-renowned both for his leadership and his wisdom and his integrity. He was a really, he was a giant of, he was a spiritual giant. So she was happy to go to the Bitzah and they go. He thought, it's a no-brainer, as painful as it is, technically he won. They go into the Bitzah she shares her side of the story, he shares his side of the story, and he says, Rebbe, explain to the woman, explain to the woman, that halachically and legally I am not obligated to give back the money. It's a city with mostly Gentiles. The hope that she's going to get it back and a Jew is going to find it and return it to her was so slim, and halacha acknowledges that, and therefore there was yish, and I can have the money. Tell it to her. Rabbi Yitzhak thinks for a moment. And to this guy's horror or dismay, he says, Chanaleya is right. It's her money. He says, yeah, but why? So this is what he said. He said, whose money is this? 
her husband gave her the money and appointed her as his shliach to do the... This is his business. He runs it. He's sick. So he asked his wife to be his shliach and to represent him. And he gave her the money. He runs the business. He takes care of the money. He gave it to her to go and buy the material and bring back the material. Now I want to ask you a question. Let's say you lose something. You lose something. You lose your sweater. And I despair. <laughs> I have yish. Is that called yish? No. If you lost a sweater and you say, you know, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. I'm not giving up. And I say, no, you're not going to find it. That's not, I can't be zich for you. It's your money. So Yitzhak L'chanan says, even if she despaired, it's not her money to despair. She was Yayish. She gave up. It's not hers. She gave up. Her husband never gave up. The guy says, well, her husband would have given up. Yerushalayim does. the Allah is like, Abaya, you remember? He lived, let's say he lived in Russia, wherever he lived. He didn't know what happened. Again, this is before WhatsApp. If it was after WhatsApp, she would have sent him a message and he would have also been Zechmiyayish. But this story happened before WhatsApp. So he never found out what happened. If he would have learned that his wife dropped the money in Leipzig, he may have also despaired. Yish. But he never found out about it. So it's called Yish Shaloi Midas. Abaya says, it's not Yish. She can't despair because it's not hers to despair on. She has a right to use the money and buy material. That's called a shliach. I entrust you with a mission. But it's his money. I can't despair for your money. He never despaired. Yerushalayim does. And there's Simonim. There was no years. Chanaleya went out of Rabbi Tzakalchanan's room with all the money. But you, so you hear, we, you hear we did this? You know, it's very easy to say, Yish, Yish, I'm sorry. You know, he would have been a nice row. He would say, give her 50%. Maybe he would take out some money from his own pocket. But he really went back to the core. And he said, I can't be Zechmeyayish on your money. Sorry. Doesn't work that way. <laughs> she has certain rights, yeah? Not for Yish. He never had Yish. There's some money, you got to give it back. This story was shared by Rabbi Ruchim Leibovich, Rabbi Ruchim Levovitz who was the famous mashgiach of the Mir Yeshiva before the Second World War. He's known as Rabbi Ruchim. Rabbi Ruchim was the spiritual mentor in the famous Mir Yeshiva in Lithuania. Not too far from Kovna. He passed away in 1936. He was succeeded by Rabbi Chatzkel Levenstein. Rabbi Ruchim would share the story with the students, with the students. And when he would conclude the story, he would tell them this. He would say, do you see how this is a story about everybody's life? Because one of the most common and painful experiences in life is what's called yish. People despair. Despair comes in many different forms. But the common denominator of despair is, I become dejected. I become depleted. I, re- I resign. It's a feeling of surrender. As somebody once said, a poet once said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. People pick up their hands and say, Azayizus. You know? Sometimes it's a communal issue. They say, go fight City Hall. <laughs> go deal. This is how it is. This is how it always was. Go home and deal with your own stuff. You're not going to change a thing. Sometimes it's despair for people's marriages. You know, this is who, <laughs> this is what I'm dealing with. Shine. Done. Sometimes it's despair with people's children. Sometimes it's despair with other elements. Emotional, psychological, spiritual, financial. But there is this inner sense of yish. I give up. And the Biruchim would turn to his students and say, Chanaleya, was a shliach of her husband. He gave her the money, and he said, please buy the material and bring it back. 
She couldn't despair over the money. You know why? It wasn't hers. It's like you lost a sweater and I'm despairing. You lost a necklace. I'm despairing. It's not mine. He said, each and every one of us is a shliach of Hashem to this world. She felt responsible, but she couldn't have Yiyush. <laughs> it wasn't part of the option. <laughs> I gave you the money to make, to, uh, to handle. I didn't give you the money to despair over it. So he says, the Rebbeinu Shalaylam appointed every single soul as his personal shliach. The Gemara says in Kedushin, Shluchay Shal Adam Kemaisa. When I send a shliach, when I send an emissary, they are my ambassador and they represent the person who sent them. The shliach can achieve things on behalf of the one who sent them because you represent the one who sent you when you're doing their mission. So shluchay shal adam ha'elyon is also kamaisai. When Hashem appoints every neshama and every guf, every person's life, as his shluchim in this world, you represent the Rebbein HaShalaylam. I have his money, so to speak, his body, his soul, his resources, his wisdom, his creativity, the soul is a chelik elekamima. What do we say in slichas? Ha-neshama loch, v'haguf shalach. The soul is yours, and the body is yours. And he gives me the materials, and he says, go on a shlichus. Light up the world. Bring light into the world. And then I come there and I say, Oi, I lost my money. I made mistakes. I have holes in my pocketbook. I have holes in my marriage. I have holes in my psyche. I have holes in my life. I have holes in my self-esteem. I have holes in my happiness. I have holes everywhere. I lost my money. I lost my resources. And what's the next step? I give up. Yeyush. Whoopsie. Yeah, like that. <laughs> I'm not giving up. Exactly. Even the phone, huh? Rabbi Yochum said, your calculations may be, some of them may be very accurate. And you have interesting ideas, and there was a hole in the pocketbook, and Leipzig is a very big city, and there's a lot of challenges. He says, it's not yours to give up on. It's divine. It's Hashem's. It's not yours to give up on. It was given to you in order to be able to utilize it and maximize it. So when a person says, I give up on myself, I give up on my happiness, I give up on my future, I give up on my success, I give up on actualizing, after the class will soon be finished. I give up on my, on my ability to actualize my potential. I give up on my ability of physical, spiritual, emotional success. I give up on the ability to be able to live life to the fullest and enjoy a truly meaningful and inspiring and rich life. I give up on it. And I have good reasons. Rabbi Ruchim told his students, <laughs> the calculations, the cheshboinahs, maybe some of them are accurate. Maybe some of them are inaccurate. Maybe I know all the facts. Maybe I don't know all the facts. He says, but this is what you have to remember. You're an ambassador of Hashem. It's His life. It's His soul. It's His body. And in that sense, He says, I don't give up. He never gave up. <laughs> he doesn't get, He's not afraid of holes. He's not afraid of mistakes. He's not afraid of things getting lost. He says, it can be restored. Hashiv Teshivim. I, the person, thinks I'm an ox, I'm a sheep, I'm a donkey. <laughs> different features, different qualities. I have an animal soul that's an ox. I have an animal soul that's a donkey. The Gemara says, Chamra, Philippe, Thomas, Kirill. We spoke last week about the donkeys. Donkeys are cold even in July and August. <laughs> I'm a sheep. I'm meek, I'm docile. You know what they mean? Ashefala in Yiddish, Ashepsala, Ashefala. I'm meek, I'm docile, I'm submissive, I'm spineless. Or I'm an ox, I'm brazen, I'm aggressive. Don't start up with me. You see the difference? One is fight, one is flight, one is freeze, one is fawn. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the response is, and it's lost. I'm lost, the ox is lost. The sheep is lost, the donkey is lost, the cloak is lost. 
Shem says, I'm not afraid of it. I never gave up. There's a As long as you don't lose sight of the simon. There's always a simon that shows you that it belongs to me. There's always a simon. My imprint is there. As long as you can be able to look into yourself and identify who is the owner. As long as you can always know and remember and have this conviction that your core is absolutely divine and your life is divine. And even if there's parts that are lost and parts that got torn and things I love, but there's a simon. I never, I never erased the simon ever. The simon is never erased. The Gemara says, in every one of this nation, there's simonim. They're called simonim. The identifying signs of the Rebbeinu Shalom, Rachmanim, Baishanim, Gaimle Chasadim, compassion, an inner shame, an inner humility, an inner sense of generosity. There's a simon, there's, there's simons. The mark of God is, is the, the simon of who a person is, is everywhere. In every cell, in every neuron, in every organ, in every limb, in every tissue. In every aspect of the person's body and the aspect soul, you could see my trace, you could see my simon, and then you could restore it. I once heard from Dr. Tversky, the famous psychiatrist from Pittsburgh and later Muncie, Israel, Rabbi Ram Yeshua Heschel Tversky, Dr. Abraham Tversky. So he told me that, uh, he told me, and a nephew of his told me the story, he had a grandmother. He grew up in Milwaukee. His father was a son-in-law of the, of the Baba Virov, of the Kedusha Sian, who was killed in the Holocaust. And his daughter and son-in-law, Tversky, left to America. They settled in Milwaukee and they were saved. So he told me he had a great-grandmother. She was the daughter of uh, somebody known as the Harun Steipel, the Harun Steipler Rebbe. And she was much older. And she, was, she came to America. She was living in America. And he says she had uh, dementia or Alzheimer's. It was hard for her to recall things, to remember. But he says, but you could see her, her sharpness. And she would say, these were the words, he quoted her in Yiddish. He said, my Baba would say, my Alta Baba would say, Ich weiß nicht, wer ich bin. Ich weiß nicht, wo ich bin. Aber ich weiß, wemens. Wemens ich bin. Which means... I don't know who I am. <laughs> I don't know where I am. But I know whose I am. <laughs> I know whose I am. I know who I belong to. When a person could go into that space, it doesn't mean I didn't get lost. It doesn't mean my money didn't get lost. It doesn't mean my silver and gold didn't get lost. In Kabbalah it says that Kesef is Ava and Zahav is Yira. Kesef comes from the words kaisef, which means yearning, longing, craving. And zahav, the color of fire, of gold, represents awe and fear. And sometimes my silver is lost. My gold is lost. And some very deep aspects are lost. But yush, yush is not part of the equation. Not because it's not a human emotion, it is. But when a person could realize that that despair is coming from the fact that I have feelings that I'm completely disconnected, that I'm completely lost. And I could look at those feelings. I don't have to judge them. I can have compassion over them. But then I could bring back into the equation, into my awareness, the true reality. And the true reality is the one who owns all of this never despaired of any of it. He sent me on a journey. The journey goes through different winding roads. In the journey, sometimes there are ruptures and there are holes and things get lost. That's part of the journey. But it's all part of that journey. So I should never allow myself to surrender to mediocrity, to surrender to, re- to, to despair, to resign in a sense of indifference and resignation and dejection and despondency and melancholy and Khalila depression. So he didn't despair on ever any of it. And it's not even mine to despair. It changes the person's paradigm. This is what the Biruchim would tell his students. So that's why Hashavah Saveda, 
is the mitzvah always read in the month of Elul. The months of the search will be kashta misham. Umatsasa. You could search over there and you'll find it. And the reason you'll find it is because there's always a simon. <laughs> and the reason you'll find it is because the one who owns it never ever had Yish. And I'll finish with this story. And I knew the person that happened with it. was a Jew. His name was Reb Mendel Futafas. Reb Mendel Futafas was a chassid. He lived in the Soviet Union. And he helped a lot of Jews smuggle out themselves and their families after the war, Second World War on false passports. His wife also left. His child left. He was caught. And they sent him to Siberia, to the Gulag, I believe around 1946 or 47. And he was there for almost 10 years, I think for nine years. This was not a place where most people survived. Very few survived Siberia. Stalin managed to murder tens of millions between 1924 and 1930, 1953 when he died during the 30 years of his reign of terror in the former Soviet Union. Remendel would share stories from Siberia. And he once shared a story. He said it was one night and they were lying in their barracks, and he was the only Jew in the barrack. And there were many, many very intelligent people who were exiled to Siberia. Because remember, to be an enemy of the state, if you had seichel, if you had opinions, if you had a mindset, Stalin saw you as an enemy, so you were sent away. So you had in Siberia, you had priests, you had professors, you had military commanders, you had generals, you had essayists, you had thinkers, you had university teachers, you had doctors, you had lawyers, you had actors... It wasn't a place where it were just peasants, uh, thugs. There were a lot of very, very intelligent, educated people. Because if you were too educated in the Soviet Union, and Chas you even thought a thought about Stalin that was wrong, you were done. Chadgadia. So he says, one night, the prisoners were schmoozing. In Russian, obviously. And one man is crying. He starts crying. It was an unusual sight. What's going on? And he said, you know, I'm thinking about my old life. He was a doctor in Moscow. He was very popular. He was famous. He was affluent. He says, and now, what's left of me? Nothing. <laughs> you know, sack of bones, cold, sick, weak, frail, hungry. I doubt I'll ever see my family. I doubt I'll ever survive. I lost everything. Another person says, you think you had it bit bad? What about me? <laughs> he was one of the most famous actors in Russia. And now he said, I was sent here. Would I have nothing? No money, no relationships, no connection, no health, no dignity. I lost everything and he's crying. And so every person starts telling their sob story of where they were and where they are. Me'igre Rama used to be on top of a mountain and now I'm Bira Miktam in a deep abyss. And look how miserable my life is. Remendel said, he says, I wasn't crying. So they turned to me and they said, you're the only one not crying. Probably you were a loser before. Probably you had no job, <laughs> no career, no vocation, no family, nothing. So it's actually not so bad, right? <laughs> so Mendes is actually not. He said, I had a very, very good job before. He actually had a good job. He had a factory. And I have a wife and I have children and I miss them terribly. And my life was transformed just like all of you. So they said, so why are you not sobbing? He said, because my career was not taken away from me. They said, what do you mean your career wasn't taken away from you? He said, I'll tell you. I used to have a big factory. And I made a lot of money, as money as you could make in the black market in the Soviet Union. It wasn't so simple. You weren't allowed to really own anything. But I did very well for myself. He said, but that wasn't my main vocation. It was what I did to make money. My main vocation was that I was an Eved Hashem. I was a Shliach of Hashem. I served their God, an ambassador of God in this world. And that vocation was not taken away from me. I still do that every single day. The difference is in the software, not in the hardware. I used to do it in my factory. I used to do it with my family. Now, I do it here in the gulag. It's more painful. It's not as comfortable. It comes with a lot of difficulty and challenges, but my core vocation, which is the source of my core dignity, the Soviets didn't take away from me. I served God then every day, and I serve God now every day. 
I woke up then asking, what is my mission today as God's ambassador in this world? And I wake up today in Siberia and I ask, what is my mission today as God's ambassador in the world? So yes, how I do it changed. What I deal with in terms of the software of my life changed. But in terms of who I am and my vocation, it hasn't changed a thing. And therefore I'm in pain, but I'm not sobbing that I lost everything of my life. What was he essentially saying? There's a difference between going through a journey in which I have to search for things that are lost and yiyush. Yiyush means I give up on the idea that I'm a shliach. Yiyush means I take the money and I say it's mine and I gave up on it. A shliach means I'm the, the divine ambassador to the world. An ambassador of infinite love and light and hope and wisdom and authenticity and redemptiveness. So when I know that, the journey may be a different type of journey. Every day has its own journey. Every person has their own journey. And every period in your life takes you on a different journey. Sometimes I'm on the top of a mountain. Sometimes I'm in a deep valley. But gam I'm on your journey. You never gave me a right to despair. And you never despaired. It's yours. So he says, why should I feel that my core was taken away? And that's why the Heilike Ruzhin, the soul of Ruzhin said, the Gemara argues, the argument in Abayah and Rav is about a case of Yiyush Shaloi Midas. Yiyush, that's not done with Das. So he said, listen to those words. Yiyush Shaloi Midas. Whenever there's Yiyush, the spear, it means there's no Das. If there's Yiyush, it's Shaloi Midas. I'm missing das. If I would have das, what's das? Das is perceptiveness. Real awareness. Huh? Real, real knowledge. Not just knowledge in terms of data. But if I would have das, then there's no despair. Have a wonderful and beautiful week. So that's a classic example. You went to Rock and Kosher, you went to the parking lot, somebody dropped $10, right? You look at it. There's no simon. The mitzvah of Aved is on a Jew. The non-Jews have the Sheva mitzvahs, but they're not obligated to return a lost object. Yeah, actually the Chesam Seifer gives two examples. He says Hillel, the Gemara says in Masechus Shabbos that Hillel, a non-Jew came to Hillel and said, you know, teach me the whole Torah on one leg and... You know, Shammai rejected him, but Hillel embraced him. Hillel saw he's looking for something. The Gemara tells a story by Rabbi Yochanan. He was in the Jordan River, and somebody who was part of a group of, you know, not such good people jumped into the Jordan River. And uh, Rabbi Yochanan again embraced him and brought him to Tyre. He became his brother-in-law, Rish Lakish. So these are examples where uh, whenever I have an opportunity to be able to restore a soul to its former glory. It's the great mitzvah Vashavah Saveda. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.